Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Um, you're welcome. Um, and I just, honestly, I just want to say you are loved, you are cherished. We are so thankful for you. And each and every mom, no matter how you became a mom, you are superwoman and you are amazing. And if no one has ever told you that before, that you are so loved and cherished by your heavenly father. So we are thankful that you are here. And I'm so excited to kick off this series in the book of Ruth. So for me, I first became a mom in May 2014, so almost seven years ago. And um, Nathaniel James was born, and it was a life-changing event. Actually, we have a picture. It's a cute, cute picture of Nathaniel when he was little. You know, go so fast. And he really transforms my life when I became a mom to him. And I think we could all agree that moms, whether you're a mom or not, that moms really want what's best for their children, right? And I know dads do too, but there's something about a mom. They want them to succeed, to do well, to be kind towards others, to be generous. And maybe if you believe in God today, you want your children to know who God is. And that really is the heartbeat of a mom. And that, that is so important to point them to who God is. And so this morning, we're going to read about a mom in the Bible. Her name was Naomi. She's a wife, a mother-in-law. Eventually, she becomes a grandmother. And her name actually means pleasant or sweet. There's something in that name of being pleasant or sweet. And her story is found in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, in a book called Ruth. And it's a small book. Like Pastor Keith said, it's only four chapters long. And if you're looking for it in your Bible, it's right after the book of Judges. So Judges and then Ruth. And so this name, Ruth, is actually, it's not even an Israelite name. So this is the only book in the Old Testament that's named after someone that's not an Israelite. So interesting. But so why? why? Why is Naomi's story in this book? Why does Ruth get a whole book of the Bible named after her? And what can we learn today from this ancient story? So when I went to college, I was kind of a book nerd in some ways. I loved taking every British literature class that was out there. I would take two or three at a time with my favorite professor. She would set up her table and have all her books out, and we would read novel after novel, and I loved it. And um, we would just had such a great time exploring all the characters in those novels. It was a great time for me. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do together. So we're going to dive into Ruth chapter one. Grab your Bible, your notebook, your pen, and welcome to my Jewish literature class this morning. Okay, so in all seriousness, we're going to dive in. Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons was 
were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So we are introduced to a beautiful Jewish family living in Bethlehem, the land of the promise given to them by their ancestors, given to them by God. And this meaning of Bethlehem, this town, it actually means the house of bread. So how ironic that we just read that in the house of bread, there's a famine. There's no food available for them. And we're introduced to these characters, Elimelech, who's the dad, Naomi, who's the sweet mom, the two sons, Malon and Kilion, and here they are. They're living during a time of complete devastation. It's bad, it's hard, and unfortunately, as we keep reading, it just keeps getting worse. So if we go back one verse before what we read in the Bible, in the book of Judges, that very last verse, we kind of get this general picture of what the times were like in this story. It says in Judges 21, 25, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. It's a devastating verse to read. What we understand is during this time, there was spiritual darkness all throughout the land. There was no ordained spiritual leader for the Israelite nation. It was a period of violence, of idolatry, moral depravity, civil war. And everyone did what they thought was good for them. And as we read, there was a famine. So the people, they were in, in need of something. They needed food. <laughs> and something was happening that was devastating, that was taking them out and wiping them out. And so we're going to continue reading on. But on that thought with famine, right, no food. And I think of me being a mom. So I had Nathaniel, and then I had Cecilia. And Nathaniel was great. You saw how chunky he was? He ate everything, right? There was nothing you didn't put in front of this kid as a baby that he didn't eat. Then there was Cece, so our second born. And I know she looks like full and chunky because she only drank milk. She never, ever, ever ate baby food off a spoon, ever. And as a mom of already having another child, this is so frustrating for me. I didn't understand. Why won't you eat food? Why won't you eat baby food, right? And it, it just, it doesn't matter. Like, moms just, I don't know why it is this way. We just, like, we want our kids to eat. And when they don't eat something, you're like, what is happening? You need to eat. You need to eat, right? So I don't know why that is, like, an accomplishment in a mom's life, but it just is. Um, but for Naomi and Elimelech, they have this real problem. They don't have food to provide for their children, for their family. So all this devastation in the land, it's really overwhelming for them. And um, they decide to leave Bethlehem as we read, the home where God provided for their ancestors. And the, it's the place where God continued to show up over and over and over again. Um, and it's eventually where Jesus, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. And so here we see this family, they're deciding to leave. And they're deciding to put their trust elsewhere. Um, in their own hands, really. And they're saying, we're going to do what we think is best for ourselves. And 
essentially they turned their back on God, provider, Jehovah Jireh. And it says in verse 1, so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. It wasn't their plan to stay, but as we read on, they end up being there for 10 years. And the devastation just continues to grow at a rapid rate. So like I told you earlier, I love British literature, and so Shakespeare was just part of that. And unfortunately, I don't read nearly as much as I used to, and some people know that it takes me like a year to read a novel now. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> don't, tell my, don't tell my professor. But something I learned from reading all those Shakespearean plays is there's something in a name, right? Shakespeare said it himself. What is in a name? He's trying to figure out, is there something in that? And God's word, it tells us, yes, there is something important in a name. The Bible is filled with moments where God uses a name to have meaning for a person, for a place. He changes the name. It means something. And so for Ruth in this book that we're reading, it's no different. I mean, look at the characters that we've been given so far. And Elimelech, the dad, his name actually means God is king. So when someone would say, hey, Elimelech, they're really saying God is king. And he doesn't live by his name. He doesn't live as though God is king, leaving Bethlehem. His actions don't display what his name means. And so with no king over Israel and an adopted worldview to do whatever you think's best, Elimelech and his family leave Bethlehem. And the famine they were expecting, it, during this time of famine, what they should have done was repent, turn from their sinful ways, and turn to God, but they didn't. They did what they thought was best. And I think, I think we can relate here. Number one, because we all live on Long Island, right? Taxes are high, laws are restricting, everything is expensive, right? And we find ourselves maybe just saying, oh, if I just move down south, things will be so much better. It'll be easier. If I just get a different job, I'll, it'll be better for my family. And yes, maybe that's true. And yes, maybe if God tells you go, you go. You follow God's mission for your life and for your family. But I'm afraid that some of us, we decide to react as Elimelech did. We trust in what we see more than God, our provider, Jehovah Jireh. And one author, he says it this way. He says regarding Elimelech that the appropriate response to the famine, it would have been to remain in Israel, to repent, to call others, the other Israelites to repent and to trust God. But it seems he felt more at home in the land of compromise than the land of the promise. And for Elimelech, they head to Moab. And what was supposed to be, oh, just for a little while, just to get some food, it turns into 10 years. And Elimelech dies for reasons we don't know. The author, unfortunately, doesn't give us that detail. And Naomi is widowed and grieving, and she's left with two sons. And in verse 4, we read, they married Moabite women one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And af 
after they lived there about 10 years. So I want you to understand Moab for a minute. Moab lay on the other side of Dead Sea. This country was known as the enemy of God. And it was really an interesting destination choice for Elimelech to take his family. Why, why go to Moab? It really wasn't a place for an Israelite family to be or to go. Pagan worship, wild living, it was really just the tip of what Moab was known for. And if you're familiar with the Bible or not, that's okay. You can go to Genesis chapter 19 and you can discover how Moab was started. It was pretty horrible. And so this is where Elimelech goes. And maybe, maybe he thought it was easy or it would be better in the moment. He was trying to make a good decision for his family. But regardless, now Naomi, our mom of the hour, is hit with a devastation. Her sons, the only two that she has, the only two that can carry on the family line, have married Moabite women. And I know this news, we don't like feel so shocked, but this is, was very shocking to the original readers in this time. Moabite woman, defined by Google, is double trouble, okay? So that kind of gives us just a glimpse, maybe, how mom Naomi is feeling when her sons marry these women. It is hard to bear. She initially was going to Moab because she needed her sons to eat. She didn't want them to literally starve to get to death. I know sometimes we say that, but they literally were starving. And so they were just supposed to go for a little while to Moab to find some bread. But what they did was they left the house of bread and encountered more devastation in Moab. What sometimes seems to us as just practical, as making practical sense, it isn't always biblical or God-honoring. Something might seem practically on paper, like, oh, okay, there's no food here, so I'm just going to go there, but it didn't honor God. They should have remained where God had them. And for today, I think we could read Elimelech's story and look at it as a warning. He didn't even listen to his own name, right? He didn't treat God as king in his own life. And if you're here today at Blaze Church and you proclaim Jesus as king of your life, start living that way. I love you all so much. <laughs> and this is why I'm, I just want to encourage you in this moment. Seek Jesus, seek him, read his word daily. There's no excuse not to. It is true bread that truly will sustain you. Gather with other believers, go to group, pray, come to prayer. We have monthly prayer. These patterns of living now and these good decisions, they will remain for generations. That is the reason why my husband and I are here today. We grew up sleeping on pews in the church. And yes, in the moment, I'm complained and I whined about it. But I'm so thankful for that pattern my parents set in my life. Because it's the, it's the reason why our faith remains strong during devastations that we all experience today. 
So that's my encouragement to you. But now we have sweet Naomi, right? And in this moment, I can barely imagine how Naomi is feeling. She loses her husband, and now she's attending two weddings as a widow. And I feel like some of us might be able to relate to this. Maybe it's the first time we're attending an event without fill in the blank, right? Mom, dad, grandpa. It's hard, right? And it hurts. And for Naomi, this is just another thing. It's another weight that she carries, that she puts on. But then, like I said, this story gets worse. It does. (laughs) The unthinkable happens. And the next verse reads this, verse 4. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi is left without her two sons and her husband. It's easy, right, for us to imagine her grief. She attends funeral after funeral, a widow in a foreign land, away from her friends, from her family, from her Jewish culture. She has no husband to protect her. She has no sons to carry on her family line. And and this time, and that was really no social standing. You were at the bottom of the bottom. There's no hope. She's aging. It's really a hopeless situation, right? Sorry, I brought the room here. <laughs> and I, I know, I we feel so broken for Naomi, and that's just something so awesome about getting into these characters' lives. And they're more than just characters. They really lived. And so... Naomi, she's broken. She's hopeless. She lost everything. And where is God? We haven't read one verse about where God is. From verse 1 to verse 5, it seems like God is silent. It seems like God is not at work. There's so much pain in the verses we read today. And I know we still live that today. Sudden heart attacks, the passing of one too soon, the betrayals, the violence, it's all loss. And as the readers, we might be able to identify what Naomi needs in this moment, right? She needs some hope. She needs someone to provide for her. She needs something to hope and look to and cling to. She needs provision in her life. And so the next verse, verse 6, reads, When Naomi heard in Moab, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepare to return home from there. The English Standard Version says it this way. She heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Wow. Right? God's provision, it's so beautiful in that verse. And the first time in the story, finally, we read some good news. God himself visited his people. And this phrase, visited, all throughout the Old Testament is used over and over to describe God's action of provision in his people and towards his people. It's the first mention of God we see here in the book of Ruth. This is 
the nature of our God that we serve and worship today. He intervenes for his people to provide their needs. He visits visits his people, even when it seems as though he has been silent. And so somehow this word traveled all the way from Bethlehem to Naomi in Moab, that God had provided bread in the house of bread. And Naomi has that glimpse of hope in that moment. She heard the Lord visited his people, her home, and her heart. It must have skipped a beat. There's hope, right? Her Lord, that essentially she really turned her back on 10 years prior. He is active. He is working. He has provided just as he said he would. And God's redemptive plan is unfolding. And we get a front row seat. That's what's so awesome about reading novels, but we're reading God's word. We get to see what God does just right away. It's so awesome. And he does this in our lives still today. Do you notice it? Do you notice his provision in your life? Something that we've been trying to do with our kids is teach them how to be good stewards of their money, right? So they've been getting like birthday money and just different money from different people. And we want them to understand this biblical principle, give, save, and live. And so with this comes teaching them that money that they receive, it really comes from God. And so I can finally see their little light bulbs kind of going off because now they're realizing, oh, hey, I could get some money and now I can go buy what I want, right? But I want them to understand that God is the one that provides that for them. So even in our lives, when we it seems like God isn't working, he is. Look for the ways he's working. Every time you turn on your water, you enjoy a hot hot shower, right? He provides that. Every time you open your fridge and there's something in there to nourish your body, he provides. He's working out his redemptive plan in each of our lives every day. Take note of it and thank him for it. And so in response to God's provision, our widowed mother-in-law sets off back to Bethlehem with Ruth and Orpah. And I'm sorry if I say Oprah, but you know what I mean, Orpah, her daughters-in-law. And it's different than it was supposed to be. Because the last time she was on that road and she was traveling that path to Moab, it was with her husband and her sons. And they were supposed to only go there for a little while and then come back. But now it's different. Her husbands and sons aren't there. And the heartache she must have felt in that moment, it probably overwhelmed her. But now she's returning home. And maybe she's returning a little empty. She's widowed. She's childless. She's lived in the land called the enemy of God for the past 10 years. And she says this in verse 13. It's very raw and honest. It is more bitter for me than for you, talking to her daughters-in-law, because the law, the Lord's hand has turned against me. But she's returning. So what drives her to return home? And I started to think about it, and I think it's what we read earlier. She heard 
good news. She heard that God had provided. Despite how harsh she feels the Lord has been to her, she still knows that he's good, that the Lord visited his people. And that was enough for her to take that next step in that moment. But at some point along the road with her daughters-in-law, Naomi realized they shouldn't come with her, that although it's very painful to say goodbye, she says the best thing for them would be go back to Moab, go back to your, mom, your own moms. And she ends up praying for them right there on the road. In verse 8, she says, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. So Naomi really has bonded with Orpah and Ruth. They spent 10 years together. They laughed together. They mourned together. It's a special relationship. And Naomi prays. She prays for the Lord to show kindness to them. And the Hebrew word she prays is hesed, which refers to God's faithful love. So she's really praying this blessing over them. She's modeling faith in God for them. And she cries out to God. She, her hope displays a mother's heart in this moment. She displays her faith in God, and she believes that God will be kind to them, that the grace of her God is far beyond the borders of Israel, even to Moabite women. And so she kisses them, and she shows them affection. It's, I really just picture it in my mind. It's just such a beautiful moment of a mother's heart and a mother's love. And so they weep together. They know this is going to be the end of sharing life together. And so initially, the daughters-in-law, they decline. They say, no, no, no. Naomi, we can't leave you. We're going to stay and go with your people, with your God. And, but Naomi, she pleads with them. She says, no, you, you just need to go. And there's more crying, which, you know, women, we cry. That's okay. And, <laughs> but then Orpah, she does leave. And so Naomi and Ruth are just standing there now. And so we read in verse 14, at this, they wept aloud again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Just go back with her. But Ruth clings to Naomi. This act is really an act of togetherness. It's unity. It, it demonstrates true friendship. Ruth is being loyal to Naomi. Ruth, she's also suffered, just as Naomi has. And she sees the torment that Naomi is going through. She sees everything Naomi has endured. She's walked alongside of her, yet she's deciding to remain with her. And so Naomi has heard the good news. God visited his people. God has provided. And now Naomi is seeing God provide a faithful friend in Ruth. 
I think we all desire this too in our lives. And my thought here is that maybe Naomi and Ruth started the first Blaze Church small group, but you know, um, truly though, you find this type of friendship in a small groups at Blaze Church. And it's because we understand that we were created to do life together with one another. And Blaze Church small groups is where we connect protect and grow with one another. And although Naomi and Ruth, they didn't meet in small group, um, they did find faithful friendship with one another. Ruth really was a faithful friend to Naomi. We were designed for this, right? The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And then the author of Proverbs, he makes this claim. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's just a beautiful foreshadow of the friend we have in Jesus. So let's go back to Ruth and Naomi. We left them in the middle of the road. And Ruth, verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods, Go back with her. Naomi's still trying to tell Ruth, just go back to your, your land, to your mom, to, with your sister-in-law. Go back. And Ruth finally speaks here. Verse 16, Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever it be at, sorry, be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This moment is so powerful for Ruth. She's proclaiming God as Yahweh. She's having faith in Yahweh, faith in Jehovah. God is provider. And Ruth is saying, I'm putting idol worship behind me. She's saying, I'm ready to follow the true and the living God. She states, your God, Naomi, he's my God now. It's a moment a personal declaration. And it's similar to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians. He writes this, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so maybe today you need to turn from your idol worship. Maybe you need to turn to the true and living God, leave that land of compromise, and go to the house of bread, the promised land. And as Ruth returns, she's transformed. Her entire life is changed. And this should encourage us, right? Because Ruth, she demonstrates such faith 
by her actions. She leaves Moab and she goes to a new land. She returns to Bethlehem with Naomi, believing in God. She's having true friendship to bitter, aging Naomi that can't be easy, right? Always being alongside someone that is complaining about what's happening, but yet she remains with her. And it's really a pivotal moment in this story. Friendship wins, faith prevails, God is declared as provider, and so God provides for Naomi a beautiful, true friendship in Ruth. And she had no one and nothing, and now there's two women here approaching Bethlehem. One who was from there, she left one way, and she's returning, maybe a little empty feeling. And another was completely foreign to Bethlehem, but is returning and is an adopted daughter of the king. So in Ruth chapter 19, we see that the two women went on till they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? So their return to Bethlehem was quite the excitement, right? Maybe the women Naomi um, worshipped with in the temple originally, maybe they're saying, is this Naomi? We can't really tell. Is it sweet, pleasant Naomi? She seems different now. And Naomi responds in verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi still is neglecting to view God as provider of her life. She went to the land of compromise as sweet Naomi, and she comes back as bitter Mara. Naomi is only looking at what has been taken from her. Her grief blinds her from what God has really provided for her in Ruth and what he's doing in Bethlehem. And so we read on, Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And so Ruth chapter one closes what began with a lack of bread in the house of bread ends with a barley harvest. The house of bread was never truly empty. The Lord was truly there. God visited his people. And that's what drew Naomi back and drew her back in. She heard this good news. Have you? Have you heard the good news? Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That when you feel empty, like you lost everything, and maybe you have. Family members, careers, homes, life savings, you name it. We do lose. But there's Jesus, who is faithful provider. He is known as the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem to be the one who alone can 
sustain us. And so Naomi, she chose compromise over remaining in the land of promise, and she suffered because of it. But God was still faithful, and he provided a true friend in Ruth to her. Isn't that beautiful? God is provider. And just like any true love story we read, you have to keep reading to discover the ways God continues to show up and redeem Ruth and Naomi. And next week, we'll dive into chapter two. But today, maybe you're here, and you're hearing this and thinking, I don't know Jesus as provider like that. I don't know him as faithful. And I want to let you know today, that can change, just like it did for Ruth on that road. Today can be the start of a new friendship with Jesus, your king. And I just want to take this moment to pray And if you feel like, I never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I never really trusted him as provider in these hard losses in life. I want to encourage you to just take this moment. Make it real for you. There's really nothing special in my words. I'm just a person like you guys. And I just, I I truly understand what it means to live surrendered to Jesus. And so... Um, I had this moment where I was driving a few years ago, and I I told my husband last night, it's my over-the-bridge moment, and I knew that when I was driving, the Lord said, I just, I knew it was the Holy Spirit saying, like, if you lose your husband and kids from this earth, would you still follow me? And I couldn't answer it for a few days back then. But today I can stand up here and I could proclaim to you that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And so what he did in my life, he can do that in your life too. And that could truly be your foundation and what you stand on. So I'm just going to pray. And if this is your first time that you're surrendering your life to the Lord, we want to give you a booklet. So just Raise your hand, and one of the welcome team members will come by after we pray and give you a next step. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here, Lord. I pray for the people that are surrendering their lives for the first time. Maybe they can just whisper this right now. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus came and died so I could be made new. I surrender my life to you this moment make this real Jesus we thank you for new life we thank you that we can trust you as provider thank you Lord thank you Lord and maybe today you feel like Naomi. You feel like you're saying, why is God, why are you so harsh to me? And maybe for a moment, you could just recognize that you've allowed compromise in your life. And that you've neglected that God is present and that the good news is still good. And I promise you, he will meet you 
He's full of love and mercy and forgiveness. And this morning, we're going to respond with a song. We're going to declare God as provider. And I want to encourage you that this is the moment. Don't say I'm going to do it later, that I'll talk to God later, that I'll turn to him later. It's right now. If you need to run up here and kneel and worship him, do it. Turn back to the house of bread. Because I promise you, he will visit you there. So if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, we're going to worship the one who is always, always faithful. <laughs>